Hi there. Our fifth conversation on the Rapid Risers podcast is with former North Carolina first baseman and current Dodgers organization second baseman Michael Bush. If you like this conversation with Bush or any of the previous four, please feel free to like, subscribe, do whatever you got to do to bookmark this podcast. Also, any sound that doesn't come directly from us in this episode has come from Fox, the ESPN family of networks, or the Chatham Anglers in the Cape Cod Baseball League. Thank you all to them, and let's get rolling. 2-0 to Bush. Fastball lifted into deep left center field. Ashford backtracks toward the wall. Can't get there. It is gone. The second home run of the ball game for Michael Bush. Baseball has changed. The sheer number of formulas and numbers could fill a high school textbook, but it's the player's duty to figure out how to use them. This is a conversation with the game's budding stars about the game they'll soon be the face of. This is Rapid Risers with Jack McMullen and Tommy Weber. Rapid Risers back in business after two pitchers back-to-back and two wonderful conversations, might I add. We're back on the position player train, and Tommy Weber, we got a guy in a fun organization to look at that has a wonderful track record as of late at developing their drafted bats. What do you like about the Dodgers situation uh, with last year's first-round pick in Michael Bush? Well, Michael Bush is the kind of kid he wore us out in the Cape. He came... I really didn't know who he was in the beginning, but I found out very, very quickly. I mean, he was a, uh, a juggernaut in the Cape, and I think that was part of the reason why he went in the first round last year. He's an uh, outstanding hitter, and he's going to make it to the big leagues. His ascent will be contingent upon how quickly he masters second base or he gains a proficiency at second base defensively because the hit tool is all over this kid. Uh, with the environment playing in about how quickly he can master second base, Bush can get there a bit sooner than you might think from a guy that finished out last year just playing five games in low A ball. But uh, he did get into the minor league wrinkle a bit late. He was a key cog his sophomore year uh, on a North Carolina team that went all the way to Omaha. And then in his draft year last year, the Tar Heels got to the Super Regionals, eventually falling to Auburn. Uh, this feels like another high floor bat to come out of Carolina. Not Dustin Ackley level at this stage in his baseball life, but he's got a lot of Dustin Ackley in him. Yes, he does. Left-handed hitter. Um... I think could make huge strides because I think what's going to happen is as he goes up the ladder, he's got such great plate discipline. He just does not swing at a lot of bad pitches. He'll take his walks. He's going to get a lot of good pitches to do damage on and his power numbers are going to skyrocket. So here's who Michael Bush is. He was a top 20 shortstop in America coming out of high school in Minnesota and he was a three sport athlete, Tommy. The diversified athletic portfolio is certainly not dead. Uh, he was a three-year varsity letter winner in both hockey and football, quarterbacked Simley High School football to a state final, but baseball was the one that got him to Chapel Hill. He hit over 280 with a combined 32 bombs in just under 200 career games with Carolina over his three years. Fly ball to deep right, going back Spooner at the track, and it's gone! A home run for Michael Bush, and that time he finally made him pay. He was a first-team All-ACC performer in 2019 on the heels of a 2018 summer in which he hit over 320 on the Cape for the Chatham Anglers. Swung on and lifted into left field and deep. Cotton back at the warning track. He leaps, and this one is gone! 
Michael Bush goes opposite field. Many believe there weren't many college bats with a higher floor nor higher ceiling than Bush last year. This one deep to right, and it's gone. Michael Bush has tied this game in the eighth. The Dodgers pulled the trigger on the low-risk, high-reward bat at pick number 31, and Michael Bush currently ranks as the Dodgers' number eight prospect per MLB pipeline. And he joins us now. Okay, Michael Bush, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you're in L.A. right now. You were the first-round pick of the Dodgers in 2019. You made the move out to L.A., uh, and you're training in the Dodgers complex, all that. You know, before we get into baseball and how that's shaped you, how you've been operating the last year or so in the Dodgers organization, and then before that, uh, what does outside of baseball look like right now for you? So after you leave the complex that you're at and before you enter the next day, it, what are you doing? So I haven't even really got a taste of that yet just because I got here last night. Um, today we got tested. Uh, and then we'll, once we get our results back, we're then cleared to practice and work out and stuff. So honestly, it's been a lot of sitting in the hotel room, going down and getting my food, bringing it back up. Other than that, but like once, once we get started, I think it's going to be a lot of you know, organized stuff going on. So it'll be a certain time we get there, a certain time we leave. And then after that, I think it's kind of just shutting down um, and hanging out. Because I think at this time, like there's going to be a lot of flow through a taxi squad, through the guys on the 40 man. So they want to keep everybody healthy and safe, not only just the major league guys, but also the guys that are kind of just working out and trying to get a little better at the, at the other fields. Michael, I know you've only been there a day, but um, this is probably a bad analogy. If you had to take the temperature of guys right now with respect to how safe guys feel yeah. and how secure guys feel and how confident guys are that every precaution is being taken, what would your read be? I think it's pretty good. The, the Dodgers, they seem to be on top of things. Um, like today, for instance, we got there and we hopped on the bus and – there was only six guys on the bus and we were all at least 10 feet apart on the bus. So like they had certain seats where you couldn't sit, um, which is something that I didn't even think of. Then we got to the field and then it was only two guys could go in to get tested. Everybody else had to wait. Um, you know, our, our medical people were stocked up on face masks and, gloves and all that so I think I mean only being here for a day I think it's it's pretty ramped up and they're taking it pretty serious now before you got to LA were you in Minnesota which is where you're from yep okay so Minnesota you know you start this quarantine and everything's done with uh in mid-March Minnesota's pretty cold at that time and then you make your way all the way through end of June early July I, what did your couple of months before you got to LA, before you're going through these strict quarantining look like in terms of training baseball wise? Did you have a complex that you had access to? Were you just kind of waiting it out at home until you could get outside and do things? So for the first week or two, I was kind of trying to stay ready because it wasn't, it wasn't super cold. Um, it was almost warm enough. You could get outside in a sweatshirt or a long sleeve and play some catch. I was trying to stay pretty much ready to kind of go back as soon as possible. And then we kind of got hit with the, this could be, you know, a good amount of time before we go back 
as, as the coronavirus started to get a little worse. Um, so then at that point, I kind of, I kind of went into more of the physical workouts instead of trying to, you know, stay ready baseball. I kind of tried to, you know, get stronger, kind of the more off season type workouts while staying, you know, doing the baseball stuff on the field. But the, you know, there wasn't too much things to do besides, you know, being in my garage or, you know, going to a field and hitting BP with one or two other guys. So when that, with that instance, it's, it was kind of tough, but at the same time, like I was able to work out at my house and, you know, he had nothing else to do but work out. So it was, it was a good time. At, at what point did you um, have enough cabin combination of cabin fever and just desire to ramp it back up? Did you start doing that? Yeah. So we got, I mean, at that point when we, when we found out that it could be a, a long time, um, there was some, us, some other professional guys in Minnesota. We kind of all got together and, we started doing live at bats once or twice a week. Um, not even, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen, but it was just like going out there and playing, getting on the field. We tried to get a couple scrimmages going, you know, only with a few guys just because it, it probably wasn't the best idea to get 15 guys together to do a scrimmage. But you know, there was like five or six of us guys that tried to put a little scrimmage or, you know, a few live at bats together just to try and keep that baseball mojo going. Who were some of those arms that you were seeing in Minnesota? Were they big league guys? Were they guys that are in a similar position to you where they're trying to make their way through or even, you know, college guys? Similar position as me. Um, there was a few you know, high A guys, double A guy. There was, um, you know, a few college arms that were pretty good. So um, it was good to see those guys. You know, they, they were good pitchers. And, you know, that, that was, you know, I would have been in high A to start the year. And, high arms was perfect Michael let's take you back a little bit um, obviously great career at North Carolina College World Series what uh, what choices did you have coming out of high school I mean were you tempt was was North Carolina your dream school were you tempted to go anywhere else how did uh, how did that progression take place um, so it was a lot different than other people had obviously as I kind of talked to a bunch of other guys but you know I didn't get an, the only offer that I had my junior year was from Minnesota and North Dakota State um, and then my senior summer I had a few more kind of out of nowhere um, Nebraska came along Oklahoma and then at the very end of summer early August mid-August I got a call from Scott Jackson in North Carolina um, and go back to like 2010, 2009, when they were in the College World Series. I was growing up watching those guys, and I was a huge fan just because of the colors. You know, at the age of 12, 13 years old, the baby blue caught my attention, and I was literally just a fan because they had cool colors. But never in my world would I have thought that I would ever be able to play for those guys. Like, those, that was the, one of the best programs in the country. And for Scott Jackson to reach out to me, it was, it was just a great feeling. Um, hard to describe that feeling. And then they came out and watched me, you know, towards the end of August. And I went down and visited two weeks into my senior year. And then a week after I visited there, I ended up committing. But, you know, when I went down on that visit, I was on an official visit with 
know, 16 other guys in my class that were all committed already. And I was uncommitted at the time. And I remember Coach Fox telling me he, he couldn't remember the last player that they had to come on an official visit uncommitted. Just because nowadays guys are committing so young. Which so early. Is not a bad thing at all. Uh, right. but in my case, it just – the process started a little later. Was that almost an endearing quality about Carolina to you, that, that you were that, you know, person that they needed to convince on that trip? And, you know, maybe they courted you a bit harder. Of course it worked. Um, and then to kind of follow up on that, I, it wasn't just one of the best programs in the country in 2009. It is one of the best programs in the country. And, of course, you've got, uh, you know, Vanderbilt, LSU, all those other schools. But Carolina is at least in the, in the top five when it comes to being the gold standard of college baseball. So – um, what was kind of like, you know, the finishing touch for you committing there? And then what do you feel like differentiates Carolina from all the other major programs in college ball? I mean, it, it's easier making that decision as a 17, 18 year old. It's really hard to kind of dissect and make a quality decision on your own. So trusting other people, trusting your parents, trusting, you know, people who have, people who are educated on that topic is something that, you know, I kind of fell into blindly. You know, I didn't know it at the time, but I think back at it and I had people who knew who I had people who wanted the best for me and who knew about that whole situation. Um, so going back at it, like that was probably the biggest thing for me was just having people around you that kind of know what they're talking about and help educate you on that decision. But North Carolina, it, it didn't lack anything. It didn't lack an education. It didn't lack athletics. You know, you had a whole, you had a college campus. That was it. So like, it, it really didn't lack anything that a college person athlete is looking for. As far as education goes, I don't know if I would have, to, I might have to dispute that having spent a Saturday with about 10 North Carolina guys. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, it's amazing how many guys talk about the colors. It really is incredible how compelling those colors are. I, I've spoken to, I've had a number of and spoken with a number of North Carolina guys, and there isn't one of them who doesn't mention those North Carolina colors. I think it's a little bit of pride just because you got Duke the different shade of blue and then you look at our shade of blue and it's like it's just so much better <laughs> yeah i think the rest of the country would agree with that too like i would too talked about like the better blue tar heel blue baby blue like you you hear that everywhere but it is and it is everywhere on campus everything's baby blue and white jordan blue jordan blue Jordan blue um but jordan didn't play ball until he was out of carolina in terms of how you developed at Carolina. I mean, your swing is like gorgeous, man. It's that type of swing that, you know, Bellinger has, Yelich has, those type of guys. As that swing started to develop, how much of that came at Carolina? How much of that was just natural when you first started coming up playing? And how much of that was just taught uh, over the years? A lot of it was from Carolina. Um, I mean, I had some hitting coaches that worked really hard with me. I think naturally when I got there, so you kind of just get thrown into fall ball. That's two weeks in, so you don't really get to 
you know, dissect a swing. That doesn't really happen until the off season. Um, but for me, naturally, I kind of found out that I, you know, had pretty good plate discipline. I saw the ball pretty well. You know, I wasn't crushing the ball in the fall, but I was drawing, drawing some walks. I remember my walk to strikeout ratio from my freshman year fall was, was pretty decent. You know, I hit 250, but I walked and I didn't strike out a ton. Um, so I think that part kind of came natural for me. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if it's, you know, what it's from. Um, but mechanically, throughout the course of my career, I played around with a few things, um, whether that was, you know, taller in my stance or, you know, not striding so much inwards. I can go on and on, but there's certain things mechanically that not kind of came through from North Carolina that really helped. Um, but like I said, naturally, it was, it was kind of just the plate discipline and following the ball that kind of just came to me early on. You, you got to um, have a bird's eye view of this year's number one pick, Spencer Torkelson, oh, yeah. uh, in the Cape. Um, I, I've said this. I, actually, when I saw Torkelson, I think it was, I guess, seven, was it 17 or whenever it was, mm-hmm. I said that uh, he's the most mature, sober, right-handed hitter I've ever seen as an amateur. Um, I know you're a smart guy and, and you're a student of the game. What were your impressions of the number one pick this year when you played with him? So he, he wasn't there when I got there right away. He went, so he played in the Cape hit five home runs, then he went to play with Team USA. Right. And then I came there while he was playing with Team USA, and all I heard was, you got to see this kid. you got to see this kid take BP. you got to see this kid hit. And I had played with some and seen some pretty good hitters, so I was excited to see what the kid could do. And then he came back, and BP was – it wasn't just like a big free swinger trying to jack home runs. It was – a calm, collected, explosive movement that he's driving the ball right center, left field, just going out because he has that much power. But then you put him into a game and he controls his at-bats. You know, it's, it's hard for a hitter to control an at-bat. Like How he, good are those takes? Unbelievable. Looks <laughs> oh like, How does he take that? I, I must have said 50 times. How does he take that pitch? What is he – How does? I know. <laughs> Let's go sleep, and then all of a sudden, boom. I, I, I'll never forget in that bat we had. Um, I forgot which team it was. I remember the field. Um, there was an Alabama pitcher on the mound who was probably like 93, 97, and with an absolutely disgusting breaking ball. And I think the count was 1-1, and he throws him like a 96-mile-an-hour fastball in on the hands totally a ball and he rips it down the third baseline foul like smokes it 105 off the bat smokes it down the third baseline foul and I'm like okay kid's got some hands then they he then the Alabama pitcher comes back with a breaking ball just disgusting I saw I saw the breaking ball I think the at bat before and it was one of the better ones I've ever seen and he hit this ball at least 430 feet foul again it was like, oh, my gosh. Like, he just took – that's exactly what a pitcher wants to do. High and in. Okay. Right. Okay, I'm going to come breaking ball. Boom. And then he comes back 97 again, 430 feet home run. It was like one of the most impressive at-bats I've ever seen in my life. 
remember it to this day. <laughs> That's just crazy. He was 19 years old, 18 years yeah. old. It was amazing. Really was. Really just noteworthy. And that's why I bring it up because I know that you were, you were right there with him. Mm-hmm. But you weren't just with him. You were with a bunch of other guys that were first-round type talents. Drew Mendoza comes right to mind with that too. And, and these are really good college hitters. So, of course, you had a ton of guys like Martorano, Ashton McGee, all those guys at Carolina with you. But when you get to the Cape and you're around all these top-flight dudes – like Torkelson, when they hop over to Team USA and then come back. And, and Drew Mendoza, who's one of the best hitters in the ACC, too, at the time. Hey, how much did the Cape help you see some things in your swing that maybe – or maybe in their swing that you said, you know what, I can try and incorporate this. Or they do this well in their hitting approach. Maybe I can do this. Yeah, that's a good point. The biggest takeaway I probably had was just keep things simple. You look at – I mean, I get it. If you're a smaller guy, you probably have to generate a little more with a leg kick or, you know, movement in the hands. But um, those guys, they, there, was, there wasn't a lot of movement, you know, but they still drove the ball, doubles, home runs. Um, so being able to, like, see that with so many hitters was a big part for me just being, like, like simplify it. Uh, you don't need to try and, you know, get into a leg kick. You just simplify it, try and throw a barrel on it. and I mean, it'll go. So that, that was definitely the biggest part that I saw. Yeah, and, and I think, too, as you go up the ladder, I, I think more and more people are going to remind you of that, that less is more. Just, you know, trust what you got. Uh, stay consistent. Stay through the middle. Make sure you're making, you know, you got a high percentage of, you know, squared up balls and let the ball go where it's going to go. And, uh, the less you try to force it, I think the more success you'll have. And I think that takes trust. I think you got to trust your ability. And um, I think as you go up the ladder, you're going to hear that a lot. Just trust it. Trust it. Some of that, some of that stuff doesn't need to come from, you know, leg kicks or hand movement. Like you can get that extra power from working out or, you know, other stuff. It doesn't need to come from leg kicks or hand movement. Like we said, it, it some of it can come from the weight room and, you know, not just hitting every day, but working out three or four days a week and taking a day off from hitting or working out instead. It's like you can just do becoming it. physically stronger. hundred percent. You look at, I don't want to say all the big league hitters, but a majority of them, they're, they're pretty strong dudes. And I get they're a lot more mature than the college and high school hitters nowadays, but still they're, super mature they're very strong and um, that's a big part of it that's why they can be so simple that's why they can you know don't have to create much movement because the more movement you have the harder it is to hit certainly is go up i think last one for me but um you know talking about those big league hitters and how they're just stronger the dodgers are going to have a couple of those guys uh, near the end of their contracts or off the books in 2021 justin turner is going to be off the books and then uh, what Chris Taylor, Kike Hernandez is off the book next year too, and then Chris Taylor, Seager are both in year three of arbitration next year. So uh, the Dodgers have done an unreal job at developing bats in their system. And uh, right now, I mean, by all accounts, if you keep doing what you're doing in minor league ball, you could be joining them uh, when all these guys are off the books. So in your year and off season of Dodger baseball what are the Dodgers doing that you feel like separates them from the rest of Major League Baseball? Um, 
they take everything into account. Uh, they do everything at a high level. Practices, you know, workouts, nutrition, um, travel, all that stuff is, you know, they really take that and run with it. They don't just, you know, say, hey, oh, they're, they're good with a meal tonight. They can just, you know, go eat some fast food or whatever. They, they take care of the meals. They have you eat healthy. I mean, that's why. And when you were talking about more than a couple hitters, I was kind of, they got a ton of hitters right now. And it's, it's, it's fun to watch some of them because they're not all, you know, top picks. You know, they're, but they're such good hitters. Like they have a lot of hitters right now that could hit for a lot of other teams. And just to watch those guys and the way they work, the approach they have, it, I mean, a lot of it comes from the organization that they're learning from. So the, for that, like, you just take what I'm learning and what they're teaching me and really digest it because this information that they're telling me is the information that they told them that helped them get to the place that they are right now. Uh, Michael, how's my flat glove doing? Are you taking care of that thing? Awesome. Work. <laughs> uh, the Jack, I gave Michael, we, I, I do a lot of work with the flat glove when we're working with the infielders. So I had an extra one and I told, I told Michael, you got to live with this thing. This is, this is what's going to, this is going to make you a lot of money. Believe me. Taking because, a nap or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough for Friday. <laughs> you know, the one thing that impresses me about these guys and Michael's no different. And I, and I got to see it the other day when we worked out was um, a, a real sense of openness to anything and anyone who could possibly contribute to their development. And I think uh, that younger players, you know, everyone's asking for like a key, you know, how do you hit or how do you do this? Well, when you have that kind of open-mindedness and you're willing to take in a lot of information and then decide what works for you and what doesn't, um, you really have an opportunity to grow as a player. And that was really evident uh, the other day when we went through that workout, and I really appreciated that. That was really cool. Thank you. That's the, that's the key, though, is taking that information and then being able to notice if it works well or doesn't work well. But there's no, there's no negative coming out of, like, receiving that information. Like, what I learned from you on, what was it, Friday? Like, I'm, I'm going to take that stuff – to my first workout and I'm going to focus on it because it, it really did help. And it's something that I noticed right away that I needed to fix. But like, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I, as I say to your buddy Martirano all the time, you don't need to fix it because you're not broken. Yeah. You just need to develop it because you already got it. That's and that's something you should never forget. That is true. Michael Bush. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. Thank you guys. Michael, be well, and uh, we'll stay in touch, man. If you need anything, don't hesitate. Sure. I'll let you know how the flat cove goes. Thanks, man. All yeah. right. <laughs> Take care. See you guys. It's a good conversation, Tommy. He was super zen, right? Yeah, he's, you know, um, for a kid from the cold Midwest, he really has a California kind of uh, vibe going. He really does. Uh, just his whole countenance is really um, super like groovy, man. You know, really, you could almost, you know, he could almost be, I'm serious. You know, he's like, 
He's, he's like, are you sure you're from Minnesota? Like he's, but you know, I'll tell you what, when you watch him operate, you see the benefit of it. You see, he's, he's got a, he's a really peaceful kid. You know, a lot of kids aren't peaceful. They've got a lot of noise going on. And I think uh, Michael is a, a peaceful player. And you see that uh, when he, I mean, he was so enthusiastic to work last week and just, hey, what do you got? You know, and look, you're a first round player. You know, a lot of other kids might say, hey, who are you? You know, he jumped right in. Please help me, you know, whatever you got. And then I gave him the glove to go. And um, re- really, you know, again, um, just sort of validates what I've always suspected about these elite players is that uh, they have elite makeup. You know, it's it's not an accident. He's super tranquil. And his swing is super calm, composed too. And it's one of those that you can watch on loop. And I, I just mentioned it in the conversation. It's it's that Bellinger Yelich type swing. And uh, you know, it's he's not going to hop in and have Bellinger Yelich type results right away. But he's got the ability too. It's been the consensus with people that have seen him that he's got a very high floor. And he's got the ability to have a very high ceiling with the way that his swing is constructed, with the way that he conducts himself. And in 15 minutes of talking to him, it was so easy to see. And if you pop on one YouTube clip, it's so easy to see that in the swing too. Yeah, and it's no secret. Well, it's no coincidence that he talks about doing less. He he talks in a way that reflects his makeup. Do less. He mentioned Torkelson's calm. Uh, I found that very interesting. You know, those are words that tell you something about that's what he notices because that's kind of who he is. He is a very calm, tranquil kind of kid. So, um, you know, if doing less is more is is one of the secrets, he's the kind of kid who's going to gravitate towards that and do that. Is your main takeaway less is more or you got another one? Yeah, just I, I, I really was struck by his openness, his his desire to take in as much information as possible that tells you that a kid is at peace with who he is he's secure enough to say you know what throw it at me if i like it i'll keep it if i don't then you know i'll move on like he said there's no downside it costs you absolutely nothing to listen listening is a uh, is a wonderful trait to have and uh, that's tommy weber i'm jack mcmullen michael bush was our guest this week of course we'll talk to you next week this has been rapid risers 